0: Well, good morning. I know you're all at home and you're in a very comfortable spot and probably watching in your pajamas uh, and uh, wondering if uh, we made the right decision with the storm. I have no idea at this juncture if it's icing or not, Uh, but nonetheless, you're at home. You have the opportunity to experience the presence of God no matter where you're at and beautifully so we can have the word of God right in our laps. And so I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles uh, now or go into your Bible apps or iPads and bring up Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to be there in the middle of it and continuing our series uh, in the book of Ephesians, which basically guides us as the church to become one and to find uh, that unity that comes in Christ and how he guides us to becoming the full church that's on mission with him. And so it's exciting to be a part of that church uh, because in him, he calls us and we get the beautiful pleasure of joining him in the journey. So in this text today, I, I want to, again, we, we've, in chapter 4, it's getting into how we live life as part of Christ. And uh, one of the things that I would say that you're going to discover in the middle of chapter 4 here is that it's talking about how when Christ comes into your life, There is a complete transformation, or may I say, makeover. Uh, Now, a lot of television right now is reality TV, uh, getting into different types of makeover. And and some of the shows that my wife and I enjoy watching are makeovers of homes. And so uh, there's an image here, you know, where you get to see the before, and then you get to see the after, and then, you know, every t- uh, show that does this has their own way of the big reveal. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, our favorite is the Fixer Upper. And so uh, Chip and Joanna have something uh, blockading the view of the, the home that they had done so much work for. And then they pull it, uh, the, the barrier aside, and then you get to see what it is now. One of my favorite things is also to see cars that have been totally uh, rusted out that now become fully restored. And, and, uh, and so growing up in, in the 70s and 80s where a lot of cars, especially the 1957 Chevy, I felt like if anybody could find one of those, they would buy it and they would restore it and uh, And then, of course, uh, the muscle cars came into the picture and and uh, and the more you could trick those out, the better. But again, that before picture and the after just is striking of the transformation Now, what about people? Is it possible that you can do a makeover on a person well you, there are television shows that do makeovers it's often you know where somebody has bad hair or they have you know complexion issues or whatever and they do this magic work and make them look great and so you know you got makeovers and so let's you know can we do that with somebody here at LAFC yeah I mean look at that you've got our youth pastor there Tyler that's what he looked like before and you throw him into a dumpster and he comes out and that's what he looks like so yes God can do makeovers Yes, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, and some of you are laughing at home. I uh, hope you appreciate that moment. Uh, I got permission to use a picture, but I didn't tell them which one. So hopefully, Tyler, as you're seeing this, uh, you're laughing a little bit. But the reality is, is that to do a makeover on a house or the makeover on a car uh, or the makeover on a person's you know, exterior, the way they look, all those things, quite frankly, you can do some amazing work as long as you have money. But can you truly do a makeover on somebody's character? The being of who they are, the substance of that person. Is it possible to do a makeover on someone's character? So, for instance, if somebody... You know, if there's a scale where on one side of the scale it's to be somebody who is very self-centered and then on the opposite end of the scale is somebody who is other-centered. And so we're on the various uh, places on that spectrum. But let's say that somebody is on the heavy side of self-centeredness. And and to some degree, we are all very self-centered creatures. So is it possible then to change the mindset because that's really what it is. If, if you're self-centered, you're looking through everything through a view of how it will serve you versus how it might serve somebody else. Can you truly change somebody's mindset if they're on the one side of the scale versus the other? Or how about the person, you know, the scale of to serve rather than be served? The reality is we're all on that scale. We're somewhere within that spectrum. Uh, And that really gets down to the motive of a person's being. You know, how much are we truly motivated to serve another person versus serving uh, ourselves or being served by other people towards us? Uh, Again, it's all on a spectrum. Can that truly ever be changed? Could that ever be changed in us if we fall on the negative side of that scale? Or how about the person? This is this is some of you are going to elbow each other right now, but some of you are that. Half-empty kind of person. If the glass of water is half-empty or it's right at the midline, you're going to say, that's half-empty, whereas the other person says, well, it's half-full. That's, again, about perspective. So if you're that half-empty person, is it really ever possible that a makeover could be done where you could become somebody that actually would see things more optimistically? Sounds like a pretty tall order. Or how about on the scale of independent versus dependent? You know, some of us uh, my, are very independent creatures, and, and others of us are highly dependent creatures. Is that ever possible that that could be changed by something else? Then you've got that which is not just behavior, but it's your nature. It just goes right down to your being, and that is the spectrum of submissive versus rebellious. Is it ever possible if somebody has more of a rebellious nature to ever become submissive or to become more submissive than they are right now? Is that a makeover that that could be done in a person's life? Well, the reality is that in Scripture and where we're going to go today, it says that Christ is a deal breaker when it comes to what happens in somebody's life. If If your deal is, I am, this is who I am. Christ can literally break that in a person's life and change the narrative of who you are. And so we're going to go into the text today and see how this makeover in Christ actually comes into fruition and some things that we can do in response to the work of Christ in our life. So let's begin by reading verses 17 to 19 uh, in the text in Ephesians chapter 4. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and they are separated uh, from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed." So let me stop there. So it's talking about the default, if you will. So before anything is changed by Christ, all of us have a default nature. And so it describes here that there's a default nature for the Gentile nations because of the lack of the law and the lack of the teaching that they had received, uh, that that was different from the Jews that grew up with the law of God and knew the law of God. Now, they still had their issues, but the Gentiles, they often didn't have any accessibility to that. So there was a default for the Gentiles, as there are for us, that without Christ, there is a default nature within each of us. And there are some things that are unique to us, but on those very things that, are, that I talked about on the spectrum, where self-centered versus other-centered, to serve or be served, half-full versus half-empty, independent versus dependent, submissive versus rebellion, your makeup is going to be on that scale, and that is your default. But then Christ enters in and can change where your defaults lie and becomes a new person. But before that, Paul describes what our defaults were before Christ. So in verse 17, he describes that generally speaking, Gentiles have a futile type of thought life. So their thinking is predisposed to being futile. So in that aspect, one commentary says, in other words, it's to say that Typically speaking, Gentiles are void of a useful aim or objective because the word futile means basically purposelessness, a lack of purpose. So the average Gentile basically lives life with no sense of purpose, and as a result, their thinking has no sense of direction to it. There's no objective. You just are a responder here in life. And so if the default for a Gentile without the law, without exposure to God, without the work of Christ, is somebody who is just simply aimless, without any sense of purpose, then you can tell that their walk is going to be pretty much directionless and, and pretty much void of God. So also within this, he goes into verse 18, that these futilely thinking Gentiles are also darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. So darkened in their understanding. So think about this. If somebody's thinking is futile, then you're going to be basically limited in what you can even understand. So if there's no purpose in your life, and the the way you think leads to no purpose or direction or aim, then understanding is going to be right behind that where you are lacking in understanding. And so in the text, Paul is basically saying that the the futile thinking type of Gentile, again, a person before Christ enters in, is going to have a darkened understanding of things of God. They are totally separated from the life of God. Now, if you remember at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4, when Tyler Morris spoke a few weeks ago, he talked about how this is the turning of the page. Because Christ is the reconciler, he's the transformer of a person's life. We now get the opportunity to live life to that end. And so far in the book of Ephesians here, or in chapter 4, we are seeing how life is going to be different in Christ. And then last week where Tom was talking about that maturation that comes and living for Christ. And so now you have, it's speaking to those before Christ, are being very directionless, aimless, purposeless, and so therefore in need of direction. But when that is the case, they are not going to understand the life of God. If Christ isn't there, their understanding is going to be limited because there is no aim or objective in their life. And so as a result, the divine standard is something they don't get, even if they're told about it. Uh, I've had many conversations with people uh, over my years that that know that I'm in ministry and I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. We'll have conversations and it will often come up as they're asking questions to try to get understanding of why I am the way I am and why I do what I do and why I serve a God that they cannot see they'll just look at me and shake their head and it's like, it's admirable, but I don't get it. Their thinking is darkened. They, there is no Christ revelation in them. And so we're at the mercy of God giving that revelation so that we can have understanding. But for now, prior to Christ, we were all darkened in our understanding. We could not get it, even when we're told about it. But then there's also, for the, again, that default button for the Gentile, We lack sensitivity to the conviction of guilt. Look at verse 19. It says, having lost all sensitivity. So again, talking about the directionless Gentile, the aimless Gentile, without understanding, and as a result, they have lost all sensitivity and therefore have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and therefore they're full of greed. So I, I really think the best way to describe this is that the default button for, uh, for us without Christ is that we lack any sensitivity to the conviction of guilt, that we are guilty of anything. Because if there's no standard, if there's no purpose, if there's no sense of, 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 of aim in our life, then what would guilt mean? Because there is nothing There's no standard. And so if there's no conviction of guilt, then anything that goes on on earth that is accessible to you is something you can participate in. And without any sense of moral connectivity, without any sense of standard, you're going to indulge. And as a result, somebody without the work of Christ in their life are going to do extreme things. They're going to have extreme behavior. So they're going to explore extreme sensual activities they're going to also experience extreme impurity because their motives and actions quite frankly have no conviction to it so i'm going to explore any kind of extreme impurity just to see why maybe i shouldn't and so let's do it as far as i can and then see if what i've been told is true but then there's also an extremity of, of our greed and where we become uh, consumeristic in everything about how we operate. It's always about taking and receiving. So the default of a person without Christ is, again, they're going to be disp- predisposed to irrational, uh, directionless thinking. They're going to lack an understanding and they're going to be Indulgent in practices of sensuality and purity and taking things for themselves. But that is the default. And for those of us before we ever met Christ, to varying degrees, this explained who we used to be. But as true to what Paul is saying in this text, is that in Christ things change. Now in verses 20 and 21, I'm going to read those two verses in the ESV. And the reason why I'm doing that is because I believe the NIV for these two verses has not translated accurately to the text as it moved the term Christ from verse 20 into 21 when in reality, in the Greek text, it is in verse 20. And so I believe it reads better in the ESV. So I'll read verses 20 and 21 in ESV and then pick up, NIV, uh, in verse 22. So, but that is not the way you learned Christ. So again, we've just talked about the Gentiles' default of of being directionless, lacking understanding, and, and lacking conviction. But it says, but that is not what you have been taught where you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth that is in Jesus. So again, it's, it's making sure that the person he's writing to, hey, you may not even know Jesus. So just in case you don't know Jesus, I'm, I'm letting you know that if you're in Christ, you're going to learn something different from your defaults. So then moving on into verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its, sin, its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and then to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, so the defaults of the, uh, of the Gentile, or for non-believers, is that there's no aim, there's no purpose, therefore there's no understanding, there's no conviction, there's no standards, but for those who are in Christ, we've been taught something different. We've been taught that there is a standard and that there is somebody that can change your life, that can do a complete makeover of your defaults, and that is found in Christ and Christ alone. And so, in verse 20, it says, However or but you, that is not what you've learned because of Christ. We've you've been taught differently. And so in verse 20, we're basically being told that we have learned that life is best lived like Christ in the way he lived by word and deed. So we have learned Christ both word and deed. So when Jesus left this earth, he gave the great commission and he said, go into all the world making disciples of him and then baptizing the people in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit and then teaching them all I have taught you. So we're to make followers of Christ, to baptize them in Christ, and then ultimately to teach them all he's taught us. And he taught us through the way he lived and through what he spoke. So we learn Christ, and we learn how he spoke and how he lived. And, and then you go on in verse uh, 22, it says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. Again, that, that old way, that default where you were darkened in your understanding because you had crazy directionless, aimless thinking. You were taught in regard to that former way of life to put it off because it's being corrupted by evil desires. And then he says, but then you also were heard about Christ in verse 21. You heard about him and you were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. So two different points there. The first one being in verse 21 that Jesus is the truth. Okay, so Jesus is the truth. Now think about this. In athletics and sports, there are different athletes that take on nicknames. And so recently, uh, about a year or so ago, a, an NBA player named Paul Pierce was nicknamed by Shaquille O'Neal. The truth. And why did he, was he given that name? It was because Shaquille O'Neal realized there is no player I've seen that is more legitimate and the real deal than Paul Pierce. And so he called him The Truth. Then a few years ago, and this is going back about 20 years, there was a boxer who was going to fight Mike Tyson. And Mike Tyson, uh, who was the best boxer at the time, was going to uh, do a match against Carl The Truth Williams. And, and what Carl The Truth Williams was starting to say is, I'm the real deal, you're the, you're the imposter, you're the fake. And so he named himself, I Am The Truth. So Carl the Truth Williams. Or then you have this all-star wrestler who says, I, I am truth, where he goes, our truth. Well, in all of this, they all fall short because they're all fleeting. They're, they're, you know Paul Pierce is retired. Carl the Truth Williams was, was not a great boxer compared to many other boxers. And then you have a wrestler, whether that, oh, that, well, that's even true at all. But then you get to Jesus, and he never falls short. He is always the truth. He is the essence of absolute purity. He is the real deal, the real McCoy, the 100% genuine article, period. Always has been, is now, and will always be. And so Jesus said with his own mouth, I am the way, the exclusive way to have a relationship with God the Father. And then he says, I am the truth. I am the standard. You can't find any other thing that that you will find that holds up to the magnitude of reality that I am. And then you see that he says, I am the life. I provide life. So then life then, as he says in verse 22, is really important. So you were taught then, with regard to your former way of life, to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its sinful desires, uh, deceitful desires. And so life then becomes drastically different when you live by the highest standard of truth. You see, our default is to have no direction and therefore no understanding, therefore no, under, no conviction. But in reality, if you live by truth, it's going to always expose that which is not good in you, that which is lacking direction, that which falls short in you, and therefore bring conviction. Truth will always expose the deceitful thoughts that choose to keep you in the futile of your former thinking. The futility of your former thinking. So if you don't live by truth, you're always going to revert back to your default of what you used to be. But if you live by the truth of Christ, it's going to constantly work at the things you continue to allow to remain from your former way of life. And what Christ wants to do is transform you completely. A complete makeover where the things that you used to hold to are no longer the standards of your life. Because the former way of life is corrupted. And it will continue to corrupt you if you live by it. But with truth, it exposes where the corruption lies. And therefore, you can get rid of it which then leads to the final statements in in this text where in verse 23 and following it says, so we were taught with regard to your former way of life uh, to put off your old self being corrupted in its evil desire or deceitful desires to be made new then in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So then when you live by the standard of truth, a new attitude enters in. The new attitude of the mind, and again, it really begins with the mind because how you think will begin to affect your heart and then your heart from out of that will overflow what's there and then you sh- it shows where your true default lies. If your default lies with Christ, your life is going to begin to look more and more different from what you used to be. But if you're continuing to hold on to the old things, There's going to constantly be a blurred image of who you really are. See, life in Christ will lead to a new attitude of the mind. It will lead to a new attitude of the mind. It will mean that you are no longer without direction, but you have purpose. A purposefulness that will lead you and your feet to other places than you would have otherwise been. And as a result... It creates a new person, a new makeover. And the person that is in Christ, we say, looks like Jesus. And we've defined what that life that looks like Jesus, uh, we've defined it by four statements here at LAFC. That Jesus modeled for us that in life, that if we love God and we love others and we live out truth and we proclaim Jesus, then we are living as Jesus lived that we are living as he would want us to live. And so I believe the person who's becoming more and more like Christ, where they have turned the page, they're letting him do a full makeover of your life, that they will discover that they are loving God more passionately, that they're more easily able to love other people. And truth becomes the thing that they hold on to because it exposes the areas that they try to hold on to, the former way of life, and they want truth to live through and shine through to transform them. And as a result, they experience the life that Christ offers. And then, of course, they want to tell others about him. They'll proclaim Jesus. So in the end of the day, I have questions for you. Three of them. Does your behavior give evidence of purposelessness or purposefulness? I'm asking you, does your behavior, where you're at right now, Whether you think you've been with Christ in your life for a long time, or you are new to Christ, or whether you have never been with Christ, does your behavior exude that there is a direction and a purpose in your life, or is there a lack of it? And one of the ways that you can kind of clarify this is, is there a clarity of understanding, or do you continue to have futility in your thinking? The second question I have for you. It's not only does your attitude, does it show that there is a purposefulness to your life or not, but is there a justification? Do you try to justify your life's choices? What's your tendency? So if your behavior shows that there's a purposelessness or a purposefulness, let's say a lack of purpose, do you tend to justify it? My sense and my experience that when people tend to justify their poor decision-making or their poor way of direction is that they are, in the end of the day, truly a hardened heart. As it says in verse 18, that the person who is futile in their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and they're separated from the life of God because in the ignorance that is in them, it is due to the hardening of their heart. So if you are justifying your actions... It's, it conveys that your heart isn't tender, but rather it is hard. Third question i like to ask you. So the first one being, again, is does your behavior show that you have direction or does it not? Do you tend to justify your life when there isn't direction? Or do you plead for repentance and confession before God? But the third question is this. Is living for Christ... The burn that makes you go. Do you understand what I mean by that? Is living for Christ the gasoline that fuels your engine? That causes you to go? That gives you just the angst for what you want to see happen in your life? Because I believe that really is the testament. As to whether or not you're living in the truth of Christ. Versus... Living in the former way of life, where there was futility in all that you did. You see, the person who is living by Christ is one who is being transformed. They're being made over. But the one who claims Christ, but their life looks very little different from what they used to be, quite frankly, is likely an imposter. They're not the real deal. You can't say that there's truth there. So these questions are really important, that if your behavior lacks the evidence of purpose and direction in your life, or if because of that, you tend to, when people kind of nip at that in your life, that you begin to justify it. And then the reality of your heart, when I ask that question, that is Christ really what makes you burn? Is he really what causes you to live and get up each day? if you're sensing that there is a falling short in you, seize this moment now to go before God and to acknowledge that maybe if you've been a a, a Christian for a long time, but you're falling short in these three questions and say, Christ, I've allowed my former way of life to enter back in. Forgive me. If you are a person that has never experienced Christ, But the conviction is now all of a sudden there. The understanding is now coming. And that you're seeing that there's a purpose that you want for your life. Cry out to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus. Because he died for you in spite of your sins. Because he loved you. He wants to transform you. He wants to make your life something completely different. He is not coming to condemn you. He is coming to save you. For those of us who have been children of God for a long time, many of us tend to experience a lack of victory as we go further into our life because we turned away from the things that we once were with in Christ. We return to our defaults of our former way of life, and we've missed out on the joy that comes in Christ. This is an opportunity to repent and turn back to the truth, Jesus himself. So as we sing this last song together, it is an opportunity to invite Christ back in. It says, I need you. He will do the work. We just simply have to respond to his beckoning. Would you prepare your hearts and sing along with us in consideration of these questions I've asked? respond to that. Let's respond to the voice of the spirit is prompting. Let's confess our need for him this morning. you're the one that guides my heart This is an opportunity that with if you're in a room right now with family, to ask yourself together from parents to child to be honest and transparent and to teach each other the honesty before Christ. Are we letting Christ truly do the full makeover He desires to do in us? Or do we continue to justify? Or do we continue to re- return to former ways of thinking at the cost of Of the joy that comes, living fully liberated with full understanding, the joy that the Lord sets before us. The beautiful thing we have in this is that where we fall short, which is through the whole aspect of this growth, Christ is sufficient. He will provide the way by how we can experience this complete transformation. It's not an effort for this, it is done by the work of the Lord. We simply yield to his leadership. So it is my prayer that this will be a special time in your home as you consider these things before the Lord. To his glory, I pray. Amen. Enjoyed worshiping with you, even though it's been from through a screen, but may God do a special work in your heart today. This concludes our service.